0: Our featured speaker of the day is Mrs. Early's little boy Andrew, and I'm excited to hear from Andrew. Andrew, you're a depository of of, of the Lord. in in our In our vernacular today, you're an account, and you can debit your account. And God will be faithful to withdraw from your account that which you've been faithful to deposit. And I know that you're a man who keeps your account balanced. So bring forth in truth and in love and in purity the Word of God to your church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, I'll say something that we don't get to say much in Texas, but it's snowing outside. That's not something we hear very often. I do have one thing. Everybody who's seen the movie White Christmas, right? And they're, they're kind of waiting for it to snow. And when it eventually does snow, this is a, a part that always got me. They open wide the doors, right? And everybody sees the snow as they're dancing or whatever they're doing. I can't remember. But whose idea was that? They let all the heat out of the room. Right. I mean... That's the way I think about it. Anyways, that has nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to put that out there. Oh, where do I go? Where do we go from here? That is the question that has come to my mind quite frequently in the last few weeks as we all received word that our longtime pastor was moving on to something else. The first thing that I said to myself was, okay, well, where do we go from here? And it wasn't as if it was some sort of thought of desperation that, you know, that we can't survive or we can't go on or, you know, it's hopeless. You know, there's, it's just, okay, well, where is the next step? There's, there's so much uncertainty. And, um, his final message, if you remember the title of it on that final Sunday that was here, was The Promise of Uncertainty, which was so encouraging, right? <laughs> what a message to leave us, but I know he did it with love, because there's a lot of uncertainty. One of my favorite movies that I I just, every time I see it on, or I'm flipping through channels and it happens to be on there, I just start watching it wherever it begins. I don't have to start it from the beginning, but I'm just in just kind of interested all the time and it's the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks and uh, it's been out here for a while and I will say that spoiler alert I'm gonna tell you what happens at the end so if you haven't seen it you've had 25 years and it's not my fault so so if you haven't seen it but just for those who haven't a brief synopsis I mean very 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 brief it's a man he's in love with a woman he works for FedEx he gets on a plane Plane crashes into the ocean. He's the only survivor. He washes up on a deserted island that's uninhabited. He lives for roughly five years. He finally figure out, figures out a way to escape. He escapes, gets picked up by a commercial uh, ship, and he comes back. He finds out that the woman he loved is now married with children, and he has to deal with that and all the way to the end of the movie. Okay, If you, if you remember that final scene... He's, he's in a, a vehicle, and he stops, and, he's, and it looks like somewhere in Amarillo or something, but it's, it's this desolated place. It's a crossroad, right? There's, there's a direction forward behind him, left and right. And he's standing there, and he's looking out, and he's just kind of he's looking at a map, I believe, and he's just kind of wondering, where, where, where do I go, huh? Yeah, he had delivered this package, and, and it was after he delivered the package. And, um, but he's, he's looking, he doesn't know where, it looks like he's lost, and some lady stops by and, um, you know, kind of tells him, if you go this way, you're going to get here, and if you go this way, you're going to go there, and that'll, that road will take you back here, and all this kind of thing. And then she leaves. And at the time, I remember when I first saw this movie in the theaters, I believe I saw it with one of my brothers, but uh, I remember when I saw it, and the movie ended, I thought, what a stupid movie. You know, like, I can't believe that it wasn't going to end like that, because he just, it ends, and he's looking off. Kind of, I think he looks back in the direction of that truck with the lady in the package and everything, and you can assume that maybe that's what he was trying to do, but I think the key to the movie is not that that's the ending. It's that there's a chance of a new beginning, or it's just a kind of a rhetorical question that just, Throws out there, what what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Which, which way are you going to go? And there's so much uncertainty in that. And uh, I thought of that and how that predicament does kind of parallel with our situation that we're in as we um, transition from uh, Pastor Gary to a new pastor. But not only that, but that this also has a lot of... Um, it also can compare to other situations in our life that are like crossroad situations where we come up to that point where, where do we go from here? I, I, it's, it's, it's very uncertain. And there are times in our lives where we don't always easily see the next step, right? And the fears of the unknown. The unknown is just out there. Um, that's what dominate our thoughts. And um, some examples of this could be like, uh, failures and strife and marriage, maybe divorce, uh, might bring you to a crossroads. Uh, loss of a loved one can bring you to a crossroads. Uh, a job that you've lost—maybe you worked your whole career at attaining this position or something—and all of a sudden you lose it. You end up at a crossroads. Um, empty nest when all the kids are gone. Where do you go from there? You know and. Uh, I don't. I don't have to deal with that quite yet, thankfully. But there will be a day. Uh, how about going off to college, leaving home for the first time? Can kind of leave you at a. How do I? Where do I take the next step? Um, any time of transition, or maybe even a traumatic event, say for example, a, a very serious car accident, can get you to rethink your whole life. You know, you just start rethinking everything. Maybe I need to get my priorities in order. But it's those times like that that leave us vulnerable and they can leave us with our guard down. And those are the opportunities that the enemy can come in and attempt to derail any progress that we've made in life. Uh, if you're an addict and you've, if you've been an addict or you know somebody who struggled with addiction, you may have overcome an, an addiction or, or you're in the process of overcoming it and something will happen and it'll just completely derail what you've been trying to do. Um growth that we've had in our life we we're, we're, we feel like we're going somewhere and something happens and it just it's like train hits the brakes and we got to restart again and, and see where we go from there. So I want to look at a couple examples of what I saw as some crossroad situations. Um that can hopefully help us to avoid some of the traps because I do believe the enemy will put traps in our way because he wants to derail you from your walk with the Lord and he wants to derail this church he wants to derail your families and uh it's always good it's, you know uh the Bible warns us that a wise man sees the pit ahead and, and avoids it so i want to talk of a couple things that i saw in a couple stories that uh will help us to kind of hopefully avoid some of those things. So the first one is, I want to talk about the golden calf incident in Exodus 32. And uh, if you want to, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 32. I'm just going to kind of read a little portion, summarize a little bit. But obviously, um, just to kind of backtrack, the children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. They've already gone through the Red Sea. They're on their way through the wilderness, and Moses goes up to the mountain, and that's where the, you know, the Ten Commandments are carved into stone, and he brings them down, he tells everybody about them, goes back up, Uh, but in this incident, in chapter 32, in verse 1, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us, for as this Mo, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the gold earrings which are in your ears, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it. He fashioned it, by the way and with an engraving tool and made a molded calf then they said this is your god o israel that brought you out of the land of egypt and when aaron saw it he built an altar before it and aaron made a proclamation and said tomorrow is a feast to the lord now i just want to point out if you're following along with your in your bible the verse before in, in verse 4 when the people said this is your god it is a little g In your Bible, G-O-D, a little g. And then in verse 5, Aaron says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, capital L. I think that's significant and important. We'll talk about it a little later. uh, Verse 6, Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Wow, how quickly we forget how do you go from a Red Sea experience to this, to a golden calf? If, you know, in the, in the previous chapters before that, Israel had not just seen one or two things. I mean, they experienced the plagues in Egypt. They experienced great deliverance. They experienced uh, an indescribable event of walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. And coming through as Moses was up in the mountains they they thought they saw the thunder and the lightning uh they were very afraid um they saw God's glory in that thunder and lightning they they described the mountain as being consuming fire uh, when Moses was up there, they had seen this amazing thing they had been coming from somewhere they had they were, they were moving about. They were learning about God's law as Moses was, was receiving uh, God's word on the mountain. They were learning about God's law. They were, they were moving something, but something tripped them up. And Moses delayed. <laughs> and now, here they are, stuck in a period of waiting and uncertainty. They didn't know what happened to him. He may have gotten attacked by a wild animal, or maybe he just, I don't know, passed out from hunger or something happened, an accident. They had no idea. But they were stuck in this uncertain period, and they were waiting. Well, we know from, from reading Scripture that Israel kind of always had a problem with waiting. They really didn't like to do it very much, and they got impatient quite often. Uh, think of uh, King Saul when Samuel delayed. I mean, that wrecked his whole kingdom right there just because he couldn't wait um but we don't like waiting i think humans don't like waiting very much i mean at this point uh, with cell phones and technology and information that's at our fingertip we don't have to go to the library to pick up a book if i want to know something i google it right and i can just look and hopefully my 4G LTE or 5G, whatever, is working fast enough to give me the answer that I need as soon as I want it, right? And what happens when it's like not good service? What's wrong with this thing? Ah, I can't, I can't get the answer right away. I mean, 20 years ago, we, we'd have to go to the library or something. You know, we'd have to actually get in the car and drive and wait till we got our answer. But now, the way it is, we've we've made things so convenient, so easy. It's easy. Everything's easy. And we don't like it hard. We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait because we love control. We love to control the way things happen. And our grievance is usually with timing, right? It's not so much that we have to wait, but it's when God chooses to do something. That's really our problem, right? It's not so much that we think he's not going to do it. It's just I'm not willing to wait on when he wants to do it. And so we, we want our control, and when we don't get it, we tend to get, and this is the first trap that we can fall into, and this kind of mirrors what, what Cindy was saying, is discouragement comes upon us. Disappointment, depression. Um, discouragement, the definition is the state of being in, where you are deprived of courage or confidence to dishearten. And I can see when Moses, their leader, was presumably dead, gone, not coming back, they don't know, that there was a disappointment that came upon them, a disheartening that came upon the children of Israel at that point in time. When, when things happen to us, we do feel that. I definitely think that I'm pretty safe to say that a lot of us has felt that in a few weeks. I mean, it's not so much that anybody's angry or upset with the events, but, you know, things change and it hurts a little bit, let's be honest, right? But there's a state of being in that that's dangerous, and we have to be careful because we can get to a point where we we start saying things like what was the point? You know, was it even worth it? I I worked at this job for forever and this is all I got. All this effort for nothing. Start saying those if only statements. Well, if only I did this, then such and such and such. If only, if only. And we can lose the vigilance that we had before and the accountability because Regardless of whether or not we choose accountable, we are accountable to something. A lot of things. If, if you're married, you're accountable to your wife whether you asked for it or not, right? You're going to be held accountable in some ways. You might not be perfect. You might be trying to hide things or, or not do things, but for for to an extent, you are accountable. You're accountable by the law. You're accountable by the speed limit. You might not always obey the speed limit, but to an extent, it holds you accountable, whether you like it or not, right? Sometimes we think of accountability as something that I choose, or it's, it's about a certain problem area that I have that I allow somebody to keep me accountable in, but in general, uh, we are accountable. But when Moses delays, accountability goes out the window. So we get in this sense of just freedom where, well, I don't care anymore. What's the point, you know? We give ourselves slack. We become careless and lazy. We don't take care of things like we should. We don't, we're not as watchful over our lives as we should. And this, the enemy will use that discourage to cause you to doubt and to question God's purpose. Uh, think of Eve in the garden, you know, when, when the serpent handed her and he said, Did God really say his intent is to cause her to doubt, to question if God's word and the way God does things is really true. And if we allow that doubt to creep in, we can fall into the next trap. And the, ne- the next trap I have here is disillusionment. And I'm going to go back to, to verse 4 when it said, And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a gra- an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God. Now that takes some delusion. It really does. Because from what all they saw, this calf wasn't even in existence until this point, and yet they had already seen amazing things that couldn't be explained, but they gave the credit to this. Um, When we get to these crisis points in our lives, there's, there's something that, Happens in us where we start to think the grass may be greener on the other side. You know, maybe this, maybe I wasn't doing things the right way. Uh, maybe, maybe I wasn't thinking of this right way. And there is a danger in the church today with what many refer to as progressive Christianity, and it is, and it's a danger that's taking over a lot of large churches, and it is where. Uh, We have strayed from sound doctrine and good teaching and what is right to appease our culture or to be more seeker-friendly. And we have to be aware of that. We have to to be aware of what the enemy is trying to do. We can stray from that truth and allow our thinking to be corrupted, such as what we saw here with the children of Israel. Their thinking is clearly corrupted, you know? Uh, think of the parable of the sower when he talks about the, the rocky and the thorny ground. He's talking about people who have received the word, but clearly things have happened that has caused that root, that word to not take root and um, to wither away. Um, and, you know, we, in these times of disillusionment, we can even isolate ourselves. And being isolated is is possible even when there's people around. You know, we're no longer accountable to anybody. And when we become deluded, maybe we've been reading too many self-help books to try to get us out of this, and our thinking gets off. These are all problems. These are all things that can happen. Because we view success as moving forward, right? As long as we're moving forward, things are success. Things are successful. And we don't like to understand that sometimes the work, the true work of God that is happening in us is during a period of waiting. Waiting for Moses to come back down the mountain and deliver the word of God. And we can fall into presumptuousness. Getting ahead of ourselves. Trying to make something happen that's not there. Uh, And we can look for a substitute also to relieve our anxiety, to relieve our pain, which leads us into the next trap. And this is the next trap that I see in this story. And is in verse 6. It says, when they rose up early on the next day. Now, this is after Aaron proclaims a feast to the Lord. Right? They had just given credit to this golden calf that he made as being the one who delivered them out of Egypt. And Aaron proclaims a feast of the Lord. He sounds like a politician to me. I, I don't know. He just seems to do whatever the people want to do at this point in time, yet he's still trying to, like, I need to be true to Moses, but I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it, it says in verse 6, they rose up early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They went to play. I just find that interesting. It says, then children rose up to play. It doesn't really say that. It says, then they rose up to play. I think that the trap that we can fall into is distraction, and you know we start thinking we need to wow, I need to change the scenery. That that's going to get my life back on track. That's what I need to do. I just you know uh, it's like the the middle aged man who 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 decides that you know maybe he just recently got divorced and he says you know what what's going to make this better is a Corvette, right? If I just had a Corvette, uh, you know I'd get my life back on track again. You know. Either that or you can finally afford the insurance, one way or the other. But uh, we put things in our life to distract us from what God has done because we don't, we don't want to wait for it. We, we want to substitute it. We can do this in church. We can substitute lights and, um, I don't know, entertainment. To what God really wants us to do, we can do it with material possessions. We can do it anything that makes us feel happy, and the great pursuit of happiness becomes our golden calf. And I know this is an extreme example. It's it seems to be you know quite. You know, we might be thinking, oh, I'm never going to make a golden calf, I'm not going to do it. But in little ways, if we aren't careful, we can fall into these traps and we can allow ourselves to make idols out of anything. Uh, I know that as I was growing up, you know, I, I was taught very clearly when I paid too much attention to a certain toy or possession or something that I was making too much of a big deal about it, I got it taken away, Right? and they got put in the closet. You know, anybody ever had their toy put in the closet? You know, cuz I was making too big a deal about it. I was making it became too too important to me and I lost focus on what we should be doing. And we have to be aware of those things because if we don't, we're going to lose focus. Um but I want to contrast this example with another example of a time of transition, a time of um, uncertainty. And it's the Acts 1 time where after Jesus has ascended into heaven, he's gone away. He leaves the disciples there to uh, go into the upper room. And uh, let's look at that in uh, Acts 1. And uh, let's start in... uh, Verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with him, he commanded, this is being Jesus, commanded them to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So even here, even at this point, after everything, crucified, risen from the dead, after anything, they're still wanting Jesus to do what they had hoped he was going to do from the beginning. And that was to take control back from the Romans and and to you know reign in his kingdom there. But Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, do you see right here at this point where disappointment at first trap could have happened? Because that's not what they wanted. That is not what they wanted. And instead, he wants them to go and wait. And he didn't want, they, you know, they could have. They could have very easily. Got into a pattern of disappointment and discouragement, and allowed themselves to uh, not continue doing what they were doing. But let's see what they did. Um, Let's see, verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like matter as you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with Mary, woman, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what is the first thing they did instead of getting discouraged? It says they continued together. Isn't that what we were talking about this morning? They continued together in unity and prayer. They didn't panic they didn't resort to presumptuous actions. They did not allow themselves to be isolated. They didn't go off by themselves and get off into wrong thinking. They stayed together. Um, I like that word, they continued. They just kept doing what they needed to do. Um, let's, let's read on. So I, I think I'll just skip a few... Because there's just kind of a you know a graphic illustration of what happened to Judas, but basically they explain what happened to Judas, and um, starting up in the uh, let's see, starting let's just start in 21. Therefore, of these men who had accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now this is interesting that of all the, the things that they chose to mention, they, they choose to mention that they filled basically Judas's twelfth spot as, a, as one of the apostles. And I think that illustrates something that even in times of waiting, when we are unsure of where we're going ultimately, um, we don't exactly know what God is going to do, I don't think... They fully comprehended and understood uh, what God was going to do. Jesus just told them to go wait until the Holy Spirit came. Um, but in doing that, they addressed practical needs, the things that needed to be done. And I, I know we've talked about this today, too. I, I feel like uh, a lot of the things that Wally said uh, last week that he said, we are, we are in drive, I think is what you said. This, this car's in drive or something. Um, waiting on God does not mean quitting, and it doesn't mean sitting on our hands doing nothing. There is still work to be done, even during waiting. Um, it indicates there in that first chapter that there was more than just the 12. It obviously mentions the women in the Mary of Mother Jesus, but it says uh, in verse 15 that Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, uh, altogether the number of names was about 120. So it, it seems to indicate that there was more than just sitting in a room waiting. There was interaction, things going on, um, needs that had to be met. Um, one verse that I have always just clung to in my life, uh, a verse that uh, has meant a lot to me and has really challenged me in my life, is First Corinthians Uh Chapter 15, 58. I know probably so many people uh, know this by heart, but it's, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. To abound into something seems to suggest not barely just getting your feet wet. I, I, anytime I were to go swimming, I, it doesn't matter how, unless it's like really, really warm water, I will not just jump in. I'm not that kind of person. I just, I don't like cold water. I'm like a cat. Um, but, you know, I might just get my feet wet, and then I just kind of slowly get my, my, my feet in there and let them kind of acclimate to the temperature, and then I might go down a little bit more. I just, ooh, not, I'm not good at that. I don't like it. But to abound in something doesn't necessarily suggest that. To abound in something means to immerse yourself into it. It means to completely go in, go all in for what you're doing. Um, There is still work to be done, even in times of uncertainty. There are still practical needs that need to be met. There are lives and people that need to be encouraged and people that need help. Uh, And pandemic or not, these things still... Need to be addressed right we still we still have to do what we're supposed to do. The last thing that I see that they did is that they patiently and eagerly waited and uh in the book of Romans, I notice this thing. let me go the right direction here uh, chapter eight. As I was looking up verses that had to do with waiting, I came across chapter 8 in Romans, which actually mentions waiting quite a bit. And uh, if you look in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall, reveal, uh, shall be revealed in us, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits. Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Look down in verse 23, it says not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the spirit for we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly waiting. Verse 25, for if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. There's a difference between impatiently waiting and eagerly waiting. There also, you can be patiently waiting for something and not be eager. And you can be eager for something and not be patient. I might be eager to get to the show, but I not, might not be patiently waiting for my wife to get ready. Right? It's very possible. But to be patiently and eagerly waiting suggests that we're not pushing God's timetable, but we are with full expectation of what God is going to do. And uh, I know my comments are brief. But that is the point that I wanted to bring to you today is that even though we don't know what go, what may happen, how this is all going to pan out, I want us to be eagerly waiting with patience uh, for what God has uh, the Has anybody seen the movie the Incredibles it's a little a little Pixar movie um, in the Incredibles, the characters are superheroes who are at first are in disguise. They they are trying, they're not allowed to have their superhero powers, and so they're trying to do normal life, right? And um, the dad, who is Mr. Incredible, and he's got the super strength that he has, um, he comes home from work because he hates his nine-to-five, and you can tell it's just... just Grading on him to be this way. He wants to be a superhero. He comes home and there's this little neighborhood kid on a tricycle, right? And so one time he is frustrated and he picks up the car over his head and the kid is like, wow, you know, so amazed. And then there's another time he comes home and he's just frustrated still and he slams the door shut to his sloppy, jalopy car that's barely holding together. And He turns around, and the little boy's sitting there on his tricycle. And he looks at him, and he says, well, what are you waiting for? And in a voice that I I can't really do because it's super cute, you know, this little kid, he goes, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. And we're, I so hope that that is our expectation because that's where I'm at right now. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm expecting something amazing to happen. Let's look at the last thing, just to close this up. The last four words, or the first four words of Acts 2. I'm sorry, of verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. After all that, after doing what they should have been doing and obeying what Jesus said, patiently waiting, the first four words, and suddenly there came. That's it. Suddenly there came. They didn't know when it was coming. They didn't know how it was going to end. But suddenly there came. And um, I don't know about you, but I just I want to have that heart of expectation that is open uh to what God has for this church um in the in the future moving forward. I don't want to fall into the, any traps of uh despair, disappointment, disillusionment. Um I want to be vigilant against the enemy who would come in and cause um, division and strife and be ready, waiting, expectation because What am I waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. Right? Ron? The Lord knows, doesn't He? You know, sometimes we can get in a rut where maybe we try to hurry up and take things in our own power and our own thinking like Aaron did. And what does it always do? It always makes a mess, doesn't it? It always makes us mess up. It never is redemptive. It's never helpful. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for visiting us, Lord, and for your good word that you gave us. Father, may we go out this week. May we make an impact for you and for your kingdom's sake. We thank you for all you do, and we bless you, Lord, until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.